Welcome to episode 67 of Reading Between the Reels. Tonight, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Adam Bray, a prolific author and Marvel expert. Welcome to the yeah, show. Adam. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, we usually start with our, our overall thoughts on Guardians, on the movie. So, um, what are your overall thoughts on the movie Guardians of the Galaxy? What are some of your takeaways? Uh, as far as the original, it's uh, it's kind of the Star Wars of Marvel. Um, I think James Gunn took a really obscure uh, comic book series that most people, uh, most Marvel fans had probably never heard, casual fans had probably never heard about. And he kind of made it uh, the central, most popular, uh, fun thing uh, in Marvel Studios. Uh, so I, I think he, I think he really pulled a George Lucas uh, with with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So you know, they're characters we all love. Um, and I'm kind of scared and sad. It kind of sounds like uh, this number three that uh, this might be the end of it. So. Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. I'm I'm kind of mixed emotions on it. I I kind of want it to end on a high note and not limp right. off, you know. Um, but I yeah, what rewatching it this time, I was amazed how much I actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I mean, I I've always liked the movie, but um it's a lot more serious than I remember it mm-hmm. being. I think once we started to see those characters in like the kind of the crossover movies of some of the Avengers movies, they kind of become caricatures right, yeah. a little bit. But uh, I love what you said about it's kind of the Star Wars of of the the MCU. Mm-hmm. There's also like some some Raiders Lost Ark influences right. clearly on there. But I mean, can't go wrong with that. You can Star Wars and Raiders. That's that's pretty good right. company. Um, yeah. And so what I really wanted to kind of drill down in is some just some of the bigger aspects of it uh, of the film. And I was going to start just with cinematography. And I usually, we just talk about composition, camera work and, and just colors that stand out. Sure. And, uh, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. film. Like it's, the colors are amazing. Um, the purple jumped out at me for one, um, which is, is interesting the power stone obviously is purple and Morag where it's mm-hmm. found is purple. And, uh, what I love about that is that we usually think of purple, like with royalty, but it's also, it is like, it is with mm-hmm. power. It literally is a color that is associated with power, so it's a very appropriately uh, appropriately colored uh, item. But my favorite angle that I really like this time because I think it speaks a little bit to characterization, mm-hmm. uh, or favorite shot rather, is is in the kiln, and it's where Rocket's telling the plan, and you've got you get this great kind of triangle set up, and I love seeing that in composition where you've got Gomorrah's on the left, Peter's on the right, and Rocket's kind of in the center, and you see Groot in the foreground oh, right. kind of yeah. a little bit out of focus, not listening at right. all doing his own thing <laughs> and it just doing his own thing. And then they just start and they scramble from there. And it's just like, this is who these characters are mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, also I love how quickly they put that right. together. Yeah. That was hila- a hilarious scene. <laughs> so were you familiar with the comic before the movie? Not at all. Um, only, uh, only as far as, uh, the promos for the movie. Uh, when uh, various websites, you know, would would talk about, you know, the history of the comics, that was all I really knew about it. And it's, yeah, same same for from me. From what I've gathered um, after the fact in in writing about Marvel, um, it's it's very uh, sorted, uh, strange, very different from uh, what we get in the movies. Um, 
very different uh, mix of characters at times, and the characters have di- you know very different personalities. And James Gunn, he's 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 taken what seems to me is a very messy comic series, which maybe at times to me as someone who didn't uh, didn't uh, you know go along on the journey as, as it was written. It, I, I, looking back on it, I don't really enjoy the the comics uh, like I do the, the movies. <laughs> sure. uh, they don't those 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 original runs of the Guardians of the Galaxies don't really appeal to me. I think a, after the movie came out, they've start as with much of Marvel, they've tried to um, recenter the comics to um, more more closely align with the movies, uh, not entirely, but um, you know, make the characters look more like they do in the movies and, you know, bring in some of the, some of the story aspects of the storyline into the comics so they can kind of match up a little. Marvel seems to do that with everything. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, as, as you're talking, that thought occurred to me too, like, and I remember when this was first announced that it was kind of like, who, who are these guys? Why are these, why are they using these characters? It's kind of out of left field. Right. And what's interesting is, and this kind of goes back to, to cinematography too, is that there is this kind of lengthy exposition scene that talks about the infinity right. stones where they're kind of like on display. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this film is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the infinity saga. We haven't really even, I don't even know if we had heard the term infinity stones in the MCU before mm-hmm. this film. And so it kind of makes sense that even though these characters are, you know, from this weird corner, that they set up, you know, the big event that shows up in 2019. Right. So it's like, he kind of had to go really far out there to kind of come back right. to this. Um, another thing, I mean, this is a natural transition. I think that when we talk about the sound of guardians, um, I, you know, some things that I pointed out or, or noticed this time was, I thought it was interesting that even though it's this real fantastical environment, that there's machine guns with kind of a typical <laughs> earth machine gun sound, right. especially in the kiln. I noticed that a lot instead of laser Mm -hmm. guns. But the main thing I look at is of course the music, which, you know, the soundtrack that, you know, gun is on record as saying, this is something that kind of grounds this really bizarre out of the, you know, out of our world, uh, Mm -hmm. setting. And, but you have these familiar, this familiar music that keeps showing up there. And Tyler Bates, score. I love right. I, this time listening through it too. I was like, this is such a good score. The, the guardians theme, which I don't know if we hear yeah. again after this film, is really well done, but of course the music. And so I, I got to ask out of what on these from the awesome mm-hmm. mix, do you have a favorite or a least favorite song that from that, that kind of stands out to um, you? You know, there, there's some good stuff and there, there's some things that, uh, that I don't like that um, grinds on me a little bit. Uh, but I, I like that. I like that. I've got a hooked on a feeling uh, song. Um, yeah. That's kind of their kind of a theme song, I guess, uh, for the movie. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Um, but you know that that yeah. scene uh, uh, where uh, you know that where it opens with uh, Quill with Chris Pratt, you know, dancing, uh, uh, yeah. you know, and using the the little rats as microphones and stuff. Uh, that's that's just it's just a classic <laughs> music scene. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I one thing that I love to, to point out on on the show is is the difference between diegetic and non diegetic mm-hmm. music. You know, music that characters can hear um, with diegetic music, and this movie does a really interesting thing with blurring the lines mm-hmm. for that. Like you think that it's non diegetic, like that opening scene, and it's like no, he's actually listening mm-hmm. to that as long as as well as we are. You know, it even starts with that. You know, if I, I'm not in love song, which which kind of setting the tone for the film, and then it's oh, it's on Peter's Walkman. It does that a lot. Does it at the end with uh ain't no mountain high enough as well um i think my favorite one is i always forget it's on is cherry bomb Mm -hmm. i just like that just gets Uh me pumped when they're walking down the hallway (laughs) um that's good stuff i also really liked a lot for vocal sounds uh, that that end scene now i usually use this clip uh, where he opens the the second mixtape from his mom when i'm teaching kids in class how to listen uh, for diegetic mm-hmm. music, how to listen for vocal sounds and sound effect and let them know this is all Foley sound effect, him opening the drawer and unwrapping it, all that stuff. I love how they have Peter's mom reading the letter mm-hmm. because it just, I oh, mean, it just sucks you in and it, it's like, it's hard not to have empathy for Peter in that moment. Right. Right. Yeah. And one, and one thing that I noticed this time through too, is that there's um, some really soft piano music playing while that's being mm-hmm. read. And it's the same music that's played in the hospital. Okay. So they kind of, there's like a light motif that bounces back and forth. So uh, I thought that was fairly right. interesting. I don't know the name of the song, but again, mm-hmm. Tyler Bates just did a, an amazing job, did, an underrated yeah. job, I think, because because the pop music is such, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing people think of, that the score is kind of just there in the background, but it's doing a lot of, a lot of right. great stuff. Is there anything else that you want to talk about with, the sound before we talk about performances, which I think is probably the bulk of what we'll want to talk about. Uh, no, I, I just think you're right that the uh, guardians, the, the score is, uh, is probably underrated. Um, it's, uh, it's got, it's got a lot of personality, uh, to it. Um, yeah, the, the whole sound on the movie is great, great sound effects too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that Tyler Bates, as I mentioned, did the score for this. And I kind of by accident have been watching a lot of movies that he scored recently. Like I just rewatched Watchmen mm-hmm. and the John Wick series. And it's like, yeah, I really like this guy's music and didn't really know who it was. I just like, happened to like all of these scores. And there's mm-hmm. a reason it's the same guy who had done that, which is cool. So as we move down to performance, um, one of the things I love to pull out with this is just kind of favorite lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite line of dialogue or two from, from this film? Oh, I don't know. There's, there's so many great lines. It's, it's hard, to, it's really hard to pick one. Um, I think not necessarily a, a lot, you know, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's just so many good ones. Yeah. Everybody's got a, good, a few there good There really lines. are. Yeah, I mean, because this movie does, like we mentioned before, it does such a great job of setting up who mm-hmm. these characters are really, really quickly. Um, so one that I pointed out was, uh, there's a couple of inter- exchanges with with Peter and Gamora uh, where he kind of promotes mm-hmm. himself. You know, the first time they meet, she says, you have the bearing of a man of honor. And he says, well, you know, I wouldn't say that. People say it about me all the time. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> Which is classic. And then she, you know, he's getting distracted and she kicks him in the chest and 
that's how that moves. Um, I also really love when she's listening to the music for the mm-hmm. first time and she basically screams at him. The melody is pleasant. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so, it's so that's good morning. Um, but I think my funny, my favorite one is actually a rocket quote and it's a great scene where they're having the, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out whether or not they're actually going to stand, mm-hmm. make a stand and try and go back and, and fight against Ronan. And, uh, Finally, you know, they're all standing up and the rocket says, now I'm standing. <laughs> you all happy we're all standing up? No, a bunch of jackasses <laughs> right. in a circle. Because <laughs> that's, of course he would yeah. do that. He's not going to be sincere oh, about no. it. And it strikes that balance that I think sometimes MCU movies kind of slip a little bit too far into the comedy. Mm-hmm. Like you could let the moment sit yeah. there. But with these particular characters, I think like it would be weird if they didn't right. somebody call out the fact that this is kind of contrived. Totally. Do you have a, do you have a favorite character from this cast? You know, again, it's a tough one. I I like them all for, for their own reasons. Um, You know, Quill is, is so well fleshed out and Chris Pratt is uh, great as the character and such a funny, likable guy. Um, You know, he's a little bit of the everyman uh, in him, um, and a bit and a lot of goofball. Gamora, I like um, just uh, maybe as much for Zoe Saldana uh, as for Gamora. Uh, and I just uh, watched uh, Avatar too, so um, I'm in a Zoe Saldana mood. Uh, mood. Um, you know, yeah. Groot. Groot, uh, is so lovable. Um, and I love creatures. Uh, so he's impossible not to love rocket, uh, is hilarious. Um, you know, he's, he's a bit of a dirtbag, but, uh, he, he's also hilarious in how, how stingy he is and selfish. Um, you know, uh, Drax, he's, he's got some really funny lines, um, especially in the, in the second movie. I think um, he yeah. just kind of gets funnier as he goes. Uh, so yeah, they're all good. Yeah, they they really are. I mean, and that's I mean, this is the thing too with the characterization of of Drax was another thing I noticed this time where he, he they have that great line about you know his you know metaphors that go over his head and he says nothing goes over my mm-hmm. head my reflexes are too fast I'd catch right. it. Where he's not aware of the fact that met- or metaphor, kind right. of, um, you know, finger across throat, but he's kind of more goofy. Like again, by the time we get to like Infinity War and Endgame, where I liked, I think I liked this version of Drax a little bit more. I don't know. Right. I'd forgotten that he was, you know, he was different, but he wasn't a cartoon as much as he kind of right. becomes. But I do want to point out too, what like with body language and facial expressions, that the things I was most impressed by are the two digital characters, because you see it multiple times where Rocket has kind of almost this grin of perverse joy, <laughs> almost licking his lips when he gets that machine gun in the kiln, and his mouth just goes super wide. Uh, but Groot, especially, and you mentioned mentioned Groot, he's really expressive. He is, yeah. Which is kind of amazing, considering he's a tree. Mm-hmm. Like the look of horror he has in there in that bar on nowhere. <laughs> he sees the one creature, eat, the big creature, eat the smaller creature. 
And then, of course, you know, played for laughs. He has that great big grin after he kills all the cigars on the dark ass. You're just throwing them side to side. I remember laughing quite a bit at that. Uh, But yeah, those two digital characters, so well expressive. And then still, this movie has tons of practical effects and lots of prosthetic makeup, which I guess great balance. And kind of going back to the Star Wars thing, too. The the things that we really liked about, you know, original trilogy Mm -hmm. stuff was the masks, Right. right? For the aliens. And so. Oh uh, yeah, good stuff on that. Yeah, they've um, there's a lot of uh, aliens too in the in the background, um, the, where uh, James Gunn has kind of standardized his own um, cast of of alien species uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's really very overlooked and underrated um, and and underplayed. That um, he, he's he's really developed his own his own Star Wars alien races. Um, in the background there. So it's, that's something I would have loved to have, uh, brought out, uh, in some of my books. I hope, I hope there's a chance sometime to, to catalog all of them and, and point them out because they are consistent with yeah, the movie. Yeah, that would be great. I, I would love that. Let's build who's that dude in yeah. the background. I know that like even those little creatures where they're called or mm-hmm. I think they're in all over the place. They show up in the second movie on different right. planets as well. That's kind of amazing. I, I would have thought this would have been, you know, I'm glad that this is a great reason. I'm glad you're on the show. I would have thought a lot of this was just straight up adaptation from the comics, but it sounds like he had a lot of creative freedom to kind of build out his own. He did. Yeah. And I think, I think some of it does come from the comics, but um, he, he's done it in a very consistent way. Whereas, you know, comic book, you know, you're just going to get, you'll often get just random species that the artist makes up you know, for that, that spread. But James Gunn is using the, the same species, uh, throughout the movie. Um, the same, you know, some of the same selections and from movie to movie. So it's, it's not just random, you know, made up as they go aliens. Right. Uh, scrolling down to setting and design. I, this is, I've been watching a lot of practical, we talk about practical effects and stuff, but this, the locations are essentially all studio. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense because of the the extreme places that we're going to. Other than uh, London's Millennium Bridge is part of where Xandar's at, which is about the only place uh, where they're filming an actual location. But I love I love all of the different. It's again kind of going back to Star Wars that Morag is very different mm-hmm. from Xandar, which is very different from the Kiln, which is very different from nowhere. Right. These places are built out um, so very well. So to different aliens, like you'd mentioned before, different technologies. Uh, different colors, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, one thing I wonder always, and there's not really an answer for this, is when it comes to set decoration, how they got the tape deck to work on the Milano. It's awesome. Right, yeah. <laughs> how do you retrofit that? Yeah, I've wondered about that. But of course, I mean, the set decoration, probably my favorite thing is just, and there's so many Easter eggs in the the warehouse, essentially, of the collector mm-hmm. Where you're just looking through and, you know, I saw like a dark elf, obviously Cosmos there. I saw a Chitari this time, which I had oh, missed. Yeah. I don't think every time right. I'd seen it. So many other things in there. And then props. Did you have any favorite props or set decoration things that you really liked from this film? Designs that you thought were interesting? Um, I don't think it's in the first movie, uh, but in the second, um, I got to name, uh, name two of the blasters. Um, after my nieces uh so 
that, that uh, two of rockets blasters after my nieces. So that's pretty cool. That's yeah. fantastic. I didn't know that. Yeah. What are, what are their names? Do you um, well, I'm just going to let people get the book and find out, but it, yep. oh, see, that's even it's better. In, it's which, in, which book um, is it in? It's in the visual dictionary and, um, and the, uh, character encyclopedia. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to yeah. be checking that out here shortly. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I love all the troll dolls from being, I grew up in the eighties. And so troll dolls were a thing I was very familiar with and just seeing, um, Yondu's fascination with those and all the little funky things on his dash. Those were fun. Uh, I'm looking down at, at characters speaking of Yondu. I, it was interesting, of course, that Yondu is, uh, you'd mentioned before, there's so many different casts of the guardians that he's kind of the one original one kind mm-hmm. of. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. But uh, yeah, Michael Rooker is fantastic in in this. I, I like I like him more in the second movie. I think you're supposed mm-hmm. to like him more in the second movie, of course. Uh, but great cast. We've already mentioned Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista as Drax, of course. Vin Diesel is Groot, who says I am Groot. That's all he says, except for we are Groot, of course. Um, Bradley Cooper is Rocket, barely recognizable. Mm-hmm. Thought right, that was an interesting yeah, choice. Yeah. Uh, Karen Gillan as Nebula, yeah, of course. Jaiman Hansu, I always love Jaiman Hansu. Basically, every movie he's in, he elevates. Mm-hmm. I think he has a small little part of his core. Yeah, the part there. <laughs> Benicio del Toro, of course. I almost forgot he was in this because he blends right. into the background so well. But I think I think we basically talked about everybody else. Seth Green, of course, is Howard mm-hmm. the Duck at the end, <laughs> which is a fun little thing. Sean Gunn's in the film, of course. Oh, and it's the first time we see Josh Brolin as Thanos too. That's right, that's another yeah. thing. Again, as I was watching through this, I'm like, if it wasn't for Guardians, a lot of these things we just wouldn't have yet. So, kind of interesting. Uh, scrolling down a little bit farther, Hero's Journey is usually a thing that we talk about if we can. And I think we've kind of already hinted at this a little bit. That, of course, we have Peter's journey, mm-hmm. but I think we have kind of journeys for everybody. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, even I mean, Gamora's changing, Groot's changing, Rocket's changing. I don't know if Drax changes very Drax, much, does he? I don't know. Other than the fact that he's—that's a good question. I mean, I'm thinking of the scene on on Nowhere where he calls down Ronan because he's almost got like a death right, wish. Yeah. But he doesn't change that much in the film. But other other than that, that he's kind of like, I think he recognizes that the rest of them are people of honor. And so he kind of aligns himself with that, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, I don't know if he necessarily changes rockets kind of just guilted into it. Right. I suppose. <laughs> why Groot. That's why he's kicking the grass. Um, we also talked about world building quite a bit. Um, I just mentioned in my notes here that it's, it absolutely belongs in the MCU fits in there, but it's absolutely its own thing too. It would totally exist on its own. I think it'd be just fine. Uh, and we talked about the music a little bit too. So final thoughts on, on guardians. Uh, what are you, come to your takeaways? I think, uh, it's really, it's a classic of, uh, the Marvel studios movies is it's one of them. It's probably, I think it's probably the most rewatchable film in the MCU. Uh, and I, watching it again, um, uh, recently i 
I just thought it, you know, it stood up. It hadn't lost anything. It was just as fun as the first time. I think it's actually, I think it, the first is better than the second movie. Um, there's uh, things I enjoy about the second movie, um, but I don't think the story is as great. Um, the second movie, I think, is more about... Um, relationships and family and the interaction of the characters than the actual storyline itself. Um, but I think, um, this first movie, uh, it's just, it's just a better package. It's more, uh, more well-balanced, uh, in all its, in all its attributes. So, um, it's, it's a very well-rounded movie. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a perfect MCU film. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that, and I remember the first time I saw this movie and the second one, I didn't really care for it. I think it's just, it was different, but it's grown on me. And this one, especially like I really enjoyed this, this rewatch and was kind of just amazed at how well drawn these characters were, how easy it was, even though this was so outlandish that all of the planets and the technology and mythology and all of these things, but I'm in and I love the music. So me too. I'm looking forward to the third one. A little bit, I like you know, like you mentioned, a little hesitant, a little, little melancholy about that. Someone's probably going to die. Right. It's probably going to be sad. But I'm, yeah, it feels like it's probably from what I'm hearing, it's going to be kind of a natural close to mm-hmm. the arc. So, yeah, I think uh, we might even lose more than one character. So, and it's sad. Yeah. I'm trying to prepare my kids for that. I'm like, it's probably going to happen, but it's going to be okay. You can always go back and rewatch the other ones. So, uh, Adam, before I get you out of here, is there anything that you're able to plug and tell us about things that you've got going on or anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, well, um, nothing particularly new. Um, just, uh, I guess, um, my, for Marvel, uh, I've got a lot of real popular books, um, especially for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, the Marvel Studios Visual Dictionary from DK um, covers uh, both the films. Um, and uh, the Marvel Studios Character Encyclopedia does as well. Um, for comics... You know, I've got uh, Marvel Absolutely Everything You Need to Know and um, the Marvel Encyclopedia, uh, as well as Ultimate Marvel. Um, Those will get you from the comics side of things. Uh, But people can order all of those uh, directly from me. They can get them uh, signed that way. Um, And uh, if people are interested, they can just reach out to me on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's at author Adam Bray. That's the best way to get in touch with me and the best way to support me. Perfect. Yeah, and I'll have all that stuff in the show notes and make sure people know about your great books and how to get them. Awesome. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you for jumping on. You're welcome. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend and support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher. As you know, today we are giving one lucky listener a digital copy of Mission Impossible. 
All you had to do to enter was leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and email us that you left the review. And the winner of the Mission Impossible digital copy is Keith Cower. Congratulations, Keith. Be sure to forward your previous email to us, and we'll send you the code for the digital copy. For our next episode, we're going to be giving one lucky listener a digital copy of Mission Impossible 2. All you have to do for this contest is to join our email list by Tuesday, 5923. The links for the email list are found in the show notes and on our website. The winner will be announced on the next episode of Reading Between the Reels. And finally, our next episode will be a review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and we'll share it on the next episode. 